Awesome, awesome. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Wow, a lot of good things happening. You know, now it's it, now it's your job to write them down, to to put them on the on the agenda, on the calendar, and and show up. That's that's it. You know, we prepared, we planned. Now show up and uh, and enjoy. You know, there's there's no reason to ever be bored when you belong to a family. You know, like in my family, it's a big family. You know, there's we have five children under fifteen. And then me and my wife, and then we have a 20-year-old adopted son. And, um, and there's never a dull moment in a big family, you know, never. There's never. As a matter of fact, we, we kind of have a, a, new, a different value for silence, you know, for quietness. And, and though we don't get a lot of it, you know, it's, it's like we value it a lot. Like, you know, in the car, actually, I have a great sound system in my car. I hardly ever use it, you know, because it's just my quiet time. It's like... Wow, that is beautiful, you know. And so, but see, in in a big family, you don't you don't get that. There's never a dull moment. There's always something fun, something amazing going on. And like King David said, there's no place I'd rather be than the house of God. And and so we we have a lot of things going on: uh, comedy, fun, laughter, you know, family co- uh, connection, and you know, over everything like the Word of God, which is what really transforms us. But you know, we're not called to do this by ourselves. So today. We're talking about um, the second part of our vision. You know, uh, last week I started with uh, with uh, what what the church is all about. We always say we're building a place where people encounter God. So we talked about the importance of having an encounter with God. Why is it so crucial, right? How encounters change the direction of our lives. How encounters redirect us, put us into purpose. You know, kind of like uh, it's a must. We must have an encounter with God, and every opportunity in life we have, we get to know Him as something new and something deeper that we didn't know Him before. And so, that's last week. I invite you to listen to it if you didn't, because that way you'll know clearly what we mean when we say encounter God. Belong to a family is the second part of that, and that we're talking about today. And next week, we'll be talking about the third part, which is being transformed by the Word of God. See, I believe we need the Word and the Spirit. We need both. We, need, we can't just be all spiritual and not have the Word because we will be lacking wisdom and principle and we will be lacking the renewing of our mind. And we can't be uh, uh, all Word and, and have no experience with God because if we're just all Word, then we, you know, knowledge puffs up. That's what the Bible says. So we, you, you'll be like full of knowledge but no experience, no power, just just knowledge. And, you know, that doesn't help you. And so, so we need both. We can't be like, oh, you know, I'm just a word person. Oh, I'm, I'm a, you know, I just speak in tongues all the time. It's like, we need both, you know. That's, that's Jesus, that's the word, that's what he said, you know. He is the living water, but he's also the living word. Amen? Amen. And so... Encounter God, you know, it's about our encounter, but we did talk about how encounters do not renew our mind. You know, there's, there's big change that happens in a small amount of time, and that's powerful, and that, that need, we need those moments with God, those experiences with Him. But we also need uh, the transformation and the renewing of our mind. And so today we're talking about the second part, which is belonging to a family. What family is that? It's the family of God. And why is this so important that we belong? Because See, we all have a need and a desire to belong to something greater than ourselves. All of us do. Like every human, every, every human was neurologically and biologically 
created and wired inside to belong. You know, we all have the need for connection. So, for example, I was uh, 14 years old. Well, actually, I don't know. I need my kids here. Um, I was about in sixth grade when I started doing dumber things, I guess, you know. Um, and in sixth grade, I remember it was like the first thing I did that was completely out of character, completely against how my parents raised me, you know, completely against everything I knew was better. And I did it only to fit in. You all remember some of that stuff? I'm not the only one here, right? I, I, I was a good boy, right? But I started doing things that I knew were wrong just to fit in, to be accepted, to belong to a group that was bigger than myself, more important or more popular than myself, right? Because if I did certain things, then I would fit in and I would belong in a circle that was bigger than my circle. Can anybody else identify with that, right? See, I was afraid to not have what that environment valued. And that is where shame comes in. Shame comes in when you're afraid of not having what the environment values. So if you are surrounded by, you know, very strong fit people, then the fear could be that you don't have or that you're not strong enough or fit enough, right? If you're working for like, uh, a magazine or like one of these fashion places, you know, what the environment values is fashion, is, is looks and everything, everything that is just physical, you know. And so the fear is to not have what they have, right? If you're around a lot of uh, people that have a lot of money and a lot of, you know, power, then the fear is to not have what they have to not have enough power or enough money, right? So this happens, you know, in, in all kinds of levels, right? And so that fear and that will bring you to shame because shame is the fear of not having what the environment values. You know, this even happens in churches. I'm talking about toxic churches, not like where they value certain things that are religious and if you don't feel like you pray enough, oh, everybody here prays like six hours a day. And there isn't a safe environment like we're building here in, in this church, right? Then you could have shame or shame could be put on you because you're afraid that you don't pray enough like everybody else does. Oh, wait, everybody knows like all the scriptures and all the Bible verses here, and I don't. So the fear and the shame is that I don't know as much as everybody else. So shame will come in through that door. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? You know, if, if, you, uh, if you attended a place where, you know, there was judgment or condemnation over people that, that were struggling financially, then you would feel shame if you weren't keeping up. Or you would feel shame if you were sick because everybody there believes in healing, and if you're not healed, there must be something wrong with you. Are you there? <laughs> and so, <laughs> so that's why we're building a place, right, that resembles a family, not an institution, where everybody has to wear the same, and look the same, and talk the same, and walk the same. 
See, because in a family, everybody's different. You can't even raise your children the same. Same parents, same household. But you can't raise them the same because they're all different. And if you try to force them all into the same mold, you're going to mess them up. And so we all have the need to, to belong, you know, and, I, and, you know, I named some circles, you know, that people like to belong to, but because family is so, uh, it's so beat up in our society, fatherlessness and, you know, and, and, and all these things that, that, are, that have attacked the family unit, it, it, the, the family is so beat up that children are looking to belong somewhere even outside their family. So there's why you have gangs and you have cartels and you have, you know, ISIS. Like, why would anyone want to belong to something so destructive? Because there is, we were wired to belong. Like, inside of us, we want to belong. So when we don't belong in family, then we will look for any place that will accept us, no matter how bad we have to compromise what we know is wrong or what we know is right. Are you with me? Right? How much have you ever compromised before just to be accepted? How many people compromise and stay in toxic, abusive relationships just because they rather belong somewhere than be all alone? How many people are, you know, chanting and supporting and being part of a group that is against Christian morals just because they don't want to be rejected or called a hater. See, we, we weren't made for rejection. We don't like rejection. Nobody wants to be rejected. We all want to be accepted. But the problem is when we compromise what we know is right in order to fit in. And so those are all bad news, right? Because people don't know this, and, um, and they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves even if it's bad, even if it's toxic, even if it's uh, uh, destructive. So it's a, it's a strong need that we all have, uh, and we've all known, uh, we've compromised before. Uh, but see, First Peter in uh, chapter 2, verse 5, it says that First Peter 2, 5. Oh, there we go. It says, and you're living stones. That God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you're his holy priest. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Here's the interesting part where I want to focus for a moment. It says, we're living stones. Not rolling stones. Living stones. Okay? You're like, yeah, no. We're living stones. Now, the thing about stones is that they're, they're different. Stones are, they're all different from each other. I mean, you could go out and look at, you know, the rocks that you have outside your house and... I would be extremely surprised if you found two identical ones. It's impossible. They're all unique. They're, they're different stones. See, and, and that's the thing about us. We, we are stones. We're not identical bricks. We're all so unique. Like, we could talk about the genetics of this, right? If you, uh, if you think about the fingerprint, right? No human on earth, all seven billion, however many there is, no two have the same fingerprints. No two have the same, you know, eye, iris, or is it cornea or iris? Iris, right? Uh, the same DNA. Like, everybody is unique. Like, there's no two of you. Unless you're identical twins, but there's still differences. Like, 
They're completely different. Because <laughs> I'm looking at one right now. <laughs> like, yeah, even then, even then, very different, right? So that's, that's what it's referring to. So we're stones, and God is using us to build his temple, right? We all form his family. We all form his house. We all form his temple, and we fit together. Like, have you ever put together a puzzle, like one of those thousand-piece puzzles? And, like, all these pieces are different. They don't really fit anywhere else except where they're supposed to be. And that's, that's what it's referring to when, when, when it says that we're living stones. It says we're different, but there's a place for us. We fit there. We're not supposed to, to try to be somebody else in order to fit in. Never did God intend for you to be someone else in order to be accepted or loved or to fit into his family. Never. But yet people do this all the time, and, and they don't know, and they're always trying to become someone else. I wish I was... Like so-and-so, I wish I was like so-and-so, I wish I was... You know, that goes so against your, your essence, your being, that it actually hurts you. Like physically, it hurts your brain when you have desires to be someone else or something else other than what God created you. That's really crazy. Because you were created to just be you, and God is saying you're, part of, you're a living stone that is part of the temple that I'm building, and you have to be you. You can't be somebody else. We're similar, but we're not identical. We're from the same family, but we're different. Are you with me? Okay. Um, and Psalms 139 verse 14 says, We were fearfully and wonderfully made. You're complex. Like you're very complex from the smallest particle and cell in your body to, you know, to the whole universe. Everything is complex and unique. And you were fearfully and wonderfully complex made. And, and women, even more complex. Like, wow. Ama- what a work of art, you know. It's like a, a man is like a, like a, like a painting, right? Like complex, like a complex, amazing work of art. But a woman is like a 3D, you know, map with like complex, amazing, wonderful. Don't try to understand them. Just love them. Just love them. Genesis 1.27 says, God made man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created man. He, God created us after himself. So we were cut out of the same mold. God is so infinite. He has more than enough to make more than seven billions or however many billions of humans have ever existed. Because that's how infinite he is. Isn't that amazing? Out of the same image of God, we were all created and we're all different. In Matthew twenty two twenty one, 21, uh, do we have the, that? Yeah, look at this. It says, um, you know, they're, they're talking about, like, should we pay taxes or not pay taxes? And, you know, Jesus' response to them uh, says, you know, like this coin, he, he asked them in the previous verse, like, who's, who's, whose image is on this coin? And, they, and he says, they say, Caesar, they replied. Jesus said, precisely, for the coin bears the image of the emperor Caesar. Well, then, you should pay the emperor what is due to the emperor. But because you bear the image of God, 
give back to God all that belongs to Him. So you bear the image of God. Who do you belong to? Right? You're stamped. You're marked. You're His. You're out of the image of God is how you were created, is, is who you are. So we, that means that we were, we were created to live for Him. We are created to live in relationship with Him, not apart from Him, but with Him. And that's what we discover when, when we come to know Jesus and when we come into a right relationship with the Father is that that's, that's the place of utmost eternal satisfaction, truly, not just the passing one, not just the temporary one that material things can give you, but this is eternal one. This one is the, is the only living water that you drink from and you don't go thirsty from. Because you were created for Him, from Him and for Him to be in relationship with Him, to be part of His family. Okay, so um, in uh, Matthew chapter, actually, hold on. Let's go to First uh, Peter chapter two, and we're going to read a few a few more verses here. In uh, verse, let's start with verse six. It says, as the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. As the scriptures say, um, let's go to uh, next verse, please. Verse 7. And we're going to read all the way through 11. It says, yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Now, who's the cornerstone? Jesus is the cornerstone, right? Now, the cornerstone was a really important, it was the most important stone in, in the whole building because based on that stone was uh, the rest of the building. It, it, it bared all the weight for the whole structure. And based on that one, it determined where it started and where the other corners were going to be. So Jesus is the cornerstone. He, you know, if you, if you read the, the parable of the man that built his house on the sand and the one who built it on the rock, right? Jesus is the rock that we built upon. So when we build our house, when we build our life on Him, right, we're all part of His temple. He is the cornerstone. Okay, He is that foundation. It says, the stone, He is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. Say, I am a chosen. Okay. I am a royal priest. I'm a holy nation. Okay, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. So he's warning us against the things that want to pull us away from the family of God. See, we had no identity, but he gives us identity. We had no family, but he gave us family. John 1, 12, it says, you know, to those that believe in him, to those they were given the right to become children of God, right? So all creation is God creation. Every human is loved by God, for God so loved the world, not just the believers. Okay? But not all humans are God's children. Who are God's children? Those that believed in Him. 
right? And then in uh, John 1.13, uh, next, uh, next verse, it tells us also, uh, it's probably not there, but John um, chapter uh, 1, verse 12 says, we were given um, the power to, the right to become children of God, but then verse 13, I want to read that to you. It says, they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God, right? And this is what we call being born again. See, so that's, that's the amazing thing. We're all God's creation. God loves all the world, all humanity. He loves all. But only those that believe in him, that put, his faith in, put their faith in Jesus, are given the right to become children of God. So only if we have received Jesus, then now we are grafted into his family. We are adopted, right, into the family of God. And it's not a lower level or a, or a lesser type of adoption. We're not less children than, you know, but we're equal. We're the same, okay? Jews and Gentiles, we're, we're the Gentiles unless you are a Jew, and so by our faith in Jesus, we become now born again. And when you're born, you're born into what? Into a church institution? No. You're born into a family. Is that right? You're born into a family, into the family of God. So you're now his child, his son, his daughter. So now you belong. You belong because you were born again, and you were born again because you believed in him and you received him in your heart. That's it. You didn't have to do anything to earn it. You can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We, we couldn't pay for it, right? He's just saying, this is all it takes. You're born again. Now you're born into my family. Now you're a child of God. So now we have a place where we belong. Regardless of what our earthly family looks like. Regardless of what your upbringing was regardless of what your mom and dad did regardless if there was a dad or there was a mom or or how the house was when you grew up regardless when you received Jesus now you become part of God's family and now you are a child of God that's amazing because now you belong to the best family okay did you ever growing up did you ever have a friend that you wish you were part of that family. Come on. You're like, man, they have everything. They go on all the coolest vacations. They have the newest cars. They get new clothes every quarter. I get a new pair of shoes every two years. We drive the clunky car. I wish I was in that family. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, right? Like we, we all want to belong to something bigger than ourselves. Now, if you receive Jesus, you're born again and you now belong to his family. Is there a better family? Is there a better family than the family of God? Like he is the most powerful being in the world. He's the creator, the alpha and the omega, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Like he, he is everything. Like, there's nothing greater, more powerful, more amazing, more loving, more authentic, more genuine, more everlasting, more eternal than being part of the family of God. Like, nothing beats that. 
But people don't know it and they don't act like it. Because you know it's how you, how you, how you live it that, that determines what you experience in life. You know, you could, you could, on the opposite, you could be part of an amazing family and act like an orphan, feel like an orphan, and live like one. Isn't that true? Like, have you ever seen a kid who, who has an amazing family, but he's just so disgruntled and he doesn't enjoy and he doesn't benefit from being part of an amazing family because he's so disgruntled with, with the things that he doesn't have and he doesn't appreciate that he can't see what he has? Right? You're like, yeah, that's my kid. You know? <laughs> that's how many believers are. They don't know that they are part of the best family, that there's nothing better to belong to than the family of God. Like, you guys, when Jesus comes back, this family is going. Like, we're leaving. We're not staying for the disaster. And we are living in the end times. We don't know the time, the day of the hour, but it's, it's like going to be like, yeah, you wish you were part of this family. No, that's not true. That, that's horrible. That's horrible. We would, not, we would not be like that, you know. That's why we need to preach the gospel. That's why we need to tell people that there's, they, can be, they can be part of the family of God. They don't ever have to wonder where their eternity is going to be at. Never. Like that's an assurance that we have in our heart. That's never a fear of what's going to happen after life. We know. Isn't that amazing? Like God is so good. He gave us the assurance. In uh, Psalm 68 verse 6 says, God sets the lonely in family. And you might say, well, I'm not lonely, you know, like. But, you know, sometimes we're spiritually lonely. Like we don't have people that you know, that support us, that pray for us, that believe with us, that have the pillars of, of faith and vision, you know, with us. And, and, and so we have relationships or we have a lot of people that surround us or maybe, maybe you have a lot of people at school, maybe you have a lot of people at work. May, you know, maybe you were part of a, of a church that was either big or small, but you still felt lonely. Why is that, you know? You know, God puts the lonely in families. And, you know, our, our family is, is a big family, but... We still absolutely love church. I think we would feel lonely if we didn't have a church family, even though there's seven of us, because we're all supposed to be part of the body of Christ. We're all part of something bigger than ourselves, greater than ourselves. And that is God, and that's what He's doing all over the world. And we belong to that. You know, the process of... um, The process of um, belonging is, is something so amazing I love because when, when you see here in John 1.12, it says that if you believed in Jesus and you received him, then you were given the right to be a child of God. That's it. You don't have to earn it. There's no conditions. There's no uh, tests. There's no quiz. There's, there's nothing like that. You just belong. Okay? But religion, you know, and I'm talking about the religious, legalistic, you know, works and rules that, that, that the world puts on us. And religion says you, you have to first behave like us. You have to, you know, you have to look the part. Then you have to believe like us. Like I'm talking about if you believe a little different than us, then you fail. And then you can belong, right? It's kind of like, like a club, right? You have to dress like this. You have to believe these things. We better not see your social media saying something different because then, you know, it could cost you your membership. And then you belong. 
You know, that's why there's so many denominations, because they all split about the things that they disagree on. And so, but that's not the heart of God. You know, it's like, that's what the world says, you know, behave, believe, belong. But God is, says belong first. You know, like, when you look at the, the story also of the prodigal son in Luke 15, like, what happens? Like, the son belonged to that family, regardless of what he did. When he came back, the father's like, come here. And he restored his identity, gave him a ring, celebrated his return. We belong first. And when we know that we belong, then we start believing different, which is the renewing of our mind. We start changing the old thinking, okay? But that can't happen unless you know that you belong. So you belong, and you believe, and then as a fruit of different believing, of renewing your mind, then you start living out different life. Then the behavior changes. The behavior is a fruit, is not the root, okay? The behavior is the, is the product of having, knowing that I belong to a family, that I believe, that I've renewed my mind, and now I behave different. But see, when we, when we do it backwards, we put this burden on people to behave, 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 and to live under the law, and to perform, and to have to earn things, right? When God never intended for, for it to be like that. God says, you believe. There, so you believe in my son, so you belong. You're born again. You're part of the family. You belong. See, it's only when you know that you belong that you actually start changing what you believe. And it's only when you change what you believe that you actually start behaving differently. Otherwise, it's religion. It won't last. It's performance. It's works of the flesh, and it won't last. Because you're just trying on your own over here. You're just trying, trying, trying your hardest to, to you know, to fit in. <laughs> Even in a religious circle, you're trying to fit in. It won't work that way unless you know that you belong. And then out of that, you can actually rest in knowing that nothing will take your sonship away. Nothing will, will, will stop you from being a daughter of God. Nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Once you're his child, you're his child. I mean, can you imagine, like, kicking your kids out because they misbehaved? Like, ah, no, nah, I'm taking back the last name. You're no longer a Diaz. Mm-mm. Nah, you're going to have to earn that one. You're embarrassing me a lot. No. Like, but yet religion portrays that type of behavior as if God was rejecting you and saying, like, no, no, mm-mm, you're too messed up. Please, please take that bumper sticker off the back of your car. Like, you are not a, the fish. Mm -mm, no. <laughs> like, that's not God. That's not his heart. His heart is you're my child. You're my child. You belong. That ought to cause us to want to change the way we believe and as a consequence, our behavior. So belong, believe, behave. That's the correct order of belonging. Um, so here's the thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to fast forward in order to finish this message. We know there's something powerful about being planted in the house of the Lord. You know, in Psalm 92, it talks about there, there's fruit in our lives, like, you know, being planted in the house of the Lord, where, where you put your roots in, where you get nourishment from. You know, your whole family, you know, will, will be blessed on that. But um, 
If we go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse, we're going to read verse 4. Let's start there. We're going to read this, okay? Because everyone needs connection. We're all wired for connection. We love connection. And if you have any Hispanic in you, it's like twice as stronger, you know? Like, we love to be around people. Even if you say you're an introvert, we're all wired for connection. You can't deny that. Like, everybody needs connection with other people. And... um, just some want it more than others, you know. <laughs> some some personalities, you know, want it more than others. But but everybody needs connection, and uh, science shows that neuro- neurologically and biologically, we crave and desire and need connection in our lives. Now, the number one enemy of connection is shame. Okay, that's the number one enemy of connection. What breaks connection is shame. So, let's go back to Genesis chapter uh, three. And we're going we're gonna to read uh, verse 4 and on. It says, the, the serpent said, You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. Right? It's talking about the fruit that they were not supposed to eat from. It says, And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. It said, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So before this, they were naked and unashamed. Okay? Now, they ate the fruit, and now they all of a sudden felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breeze were, breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord, from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Right? Here's where blame shifting ever started. So then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And then she pointed to the serpent. The serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. See, so what happened here is when sin came in, their eyes were open to their nakedness, and then they went to hide because they felt shame. And that is the number one indicator that shame has crept in, is that you hide. People hide. And so we're building an environment, a culture, that breaks the power of shame so that you don't have to go hide from the very thing that you need when you messed up. But instead, religion has built these, you know, super judgmental, everything must look perfect type of environments, and people have to be perfect or look perfect and have no problems, even though they're dying in the inside. Right? Now, I can't ask for marriage help. I can't ask for addiction help. I can't ask for, you know, help with my issues and lusts and this kind of stuff because because they're going to know that I don't have what this environment values. 
right? And that's the lie of the devil. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if he makes you feel that you have to be perfect in order to be in the house of God, then he's completely deceived you against what God's heart truly is, which is to first belong, then believe, then you're being transformed. And we're always being transformed. See, so when they sin, and their eyes were open, shame came in, and then they went to hide. You know, when we discover or or we believe that we don't have something that is valued in the culture, we'll go hide in shame. You know, it's like, it's like if your kid goes to school and comes back embarrassed, you know, and says, Dad, pick me up, you know, two blocks down. Why? Like, you've never, ever been ashamed of our family car. But now all of a sudden you're ashamed of our, you know, of our old minivan. Like, why is that? Because they were in a culture that values material things and they were found out that they don't have that. And so the thought is, if people knew this about me, they would reject me. And that's the very core thing that we all deal with. If people knew this about me, they would reject me. They wouldn't accept me. So the number one enemy of connection is shame. Because shame doesn't say you did something wrong. Shame says says you are something wrong. There's something wrong with you. So how do we break shame? Okay, how do we break shame? Um, A study shows that people that broke shame were vulnerable. You know, when you're vulnerable and you expose the thing that you think you don't have, you break the power of it. So, so people that broke shame, number one, were vulnerable to be seen and known. People that are, are vulnerable are not afraid to say, I love you first. Even if they're not going to say it back. So how do we, how do we break shame? First, we, we need to learn how to become vulnerable. That's why we're building a place where people belong. See, the love of God is unconditional. So therefore, our environment has to be unconditional love. Because perfect love of God casts out all fear. So if we have an environment of perfect love and you know that you belong regardless of your imperfections, then the fear will be out and you will be able to be you regardless, right? Regardless how bad it gets. You'll be able to ask for help regardless how bad it is because you know that this environment promotes the perfect love of God that casts out all fear, and it's the perfect love of God that is unconditional that says, okay, your sin doesn't scare me. Right? Did you ever... I mean, so I, I guess people have to have an experience in their past where they, will, where they were vulnerable and they told somebody what they were struggling with and the other person went, <gasps> and never called them again. Right? So we're not scared of sin because Jesus wasn't scared of sin. 
I mean, he met with the woman at the well who had five husbands, and then she was finally gave up on marriage, and she was just living in, adultery, in fornication, right? And they also brought a woman that was caught in adultery, and he was not like, oh my gosh, I can't deal with it. Like, no, Jesus was like, he dealt with it. As a matter of fact, he gave them purpose, he gave them grace, and, and he empowered them to change their lives. So number one enemy of connection is shame. Those that broke shame off of them, number one, were vulnerable. So they allowed other people to see them, and they allowed other people to know them. See, I told you, it's, it's something different to know people than to be known. And how known you are really depends on the walls you have up. Like, I'll tell you my favorite meal, and if I think the weather outside is good, but anything deeper than that, I don't want you to know. Because I'm afraid that if you found out something about me, you would reject me. And so people live their lives with very surface relationships, right? Because they feel safe at that level. But they're all surface. Nobody really knows you. And we all have a need that is not being met and is to be known. Because we all think that we have to be just like the other person next to us, identical, in order to fit in. And that's a lie. And that's the very lie that is keeping us from being who God made us to be. Okay, i got to move on. The, the second thing that people that broke off of shame possessed was courage. They were courageous, okay? And I'll, and I'll give you the definition of courage. Uh, courage is to be able to tell your story with your whole heart. Whew, to tell your story with your whole heart. I love, uh, we were at a men's retreat and, and uh, it was James' turn to speak. And, um, and he told the men, he said, all right, we're going to practice vulnerability. So tell the person next to you, I said, the thing I don't want you to know about me is, <laughs> like, Hoo-hoo! okay, let's start little by little here, all right? <laughs> I did not want to come to church this morning. <laughs> you know, what's the thing you don't want people to know about you? So anyways, being courageous is to be able to tell your story with your whole heart, right? The, the, the difficult things, like, you know, if you've heard Nick tell his story, is, is amazing. You know, he, he, he tells it with his whole heart. He said, I was at the lowest point, and I was hugging my son throughout, through the bars of jail. Wow, that's his story, and he tells it with his whole heart, right? I tell you my story with my whole heart, too, but I don't want to go into that right now. And number three, what happens is when you're vulnerable and when you're courageous, you break the power of shame, but you also become authentic. And being authentic is the ability to stop being who you think you should be in order to be who God made you to be. That's authentic. Stop trying to fit the mold. Stop trying to be what others say you should be, look like, and just be who God created you to be. We bring down walls that protect us. And when we bring down the walls that protect us, we allow people to see us, to know us. See, we build walls because we've gotten hurt. I've gotten hurt. Anybody else gotten hurt before? You got hurt. And the closer you get, the deeper the knife goes. Right? 
It's the closest people to you that can hurt you the most. So what we do is we build up protections, right? We build up walls. We put on all this protection, all this <laughs> Kevlar and, you know, armors and things like that. And you don't see people except through here, you know. Like, you look all metal to me, but, you know, all I see is your eyes. And the problem with those walls and those protections is that, yes, it protects us from getting hurt, but it also keeps us from having real, authentic, deep connections for, we, for which we were created. And then you have a society that is more addicted than any society has ever lived on this earth, addicted to pills and, you know, and anything that numbs the pain. Because instead of doing what the Bible tells us, which is to heal our heart, to cultivate our heart, to pull out the roots and let the Holy Spirit heal our hearts, we're just protecting it with the infection and all. Why are you so quiet? Right? And we've all, some, some, some of us have become experts at doing this, you know. But we need to keep our hearts alive and, and protected because that same wall that protects us from getting hurt is the same wall that protects us from enjoying the very thing God created us for. He created us for family, for His family. God created us for His family. And His family is amazing because you don't have to do anything to earn it and to be a part of it. You just have to show up and let people see who you are and then it's the Word of God that transforms us. You see how messed up that guy is? Yeah, I'm really messed up too. Like, well, guess what? You know, you don't have to worry about that. If you come and you receive the Word of God and you apply the Word of God, behavior is the fruit. It, it will change. We're not worried about your behavior. We're not worried about what you look like. We just want you to know you belong in the family of God when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You don't have to earn it. And when you belong, then you start changing your mindset. And then you'll start seeing fruit, of, fruit in your life. And if you don't ever want to change anything about yourself and you just want to stay stuck where you're at, guess what? You still belong. We still love you. Like, it, it doesn't matter to us. Like, well, it does matter. We want to see you prosper. We want to see you transform. But what I'm saying is, like, it doesn't, our love and our acceptance of each other is not conditional uh, upon your behavior or your progress, or, or how much you know. As a matter of fact, we don't care how much you know. We don't care how much you know until we know how much you care. Isn't that true? Like, <clears throat> you know, Romans 12, 4 talks about the body. Many members of the body. We need you. We need each one of you. And each one of you that is at home watching for whatever reason you're there or you're out of town or whatever, we need you. And you're part of this body. You're part of this family. Like, we, we need you. You're one of the stones. There's not another stone with your shape. You fit in one place and one place only in the body of Christ. Can you put up that list of eight things, please? Eight things we need to know to belong. Number one. You need to know you carry the family name. You have an identity. You belong to Christ. This is why I'm a Christian and not an orphan. Because I belong to Christ. Remember, you were created in the likeness and image of God. You bear His image. 
Number two, I am known. I have a community. Look around. This is your community. This is what we're building, a place where you are known. This is your community. That's why we have Wednesday night food that you can come eat here and meet and know other people. We, there's a reason why we do the things that we do. And it's because of the place we're building. We're building a place where people can have an encounter with God. So we can't force it, but we can facilitate it. We're building a people where a place where people belong to the family of God. So we're going to create opportunities for people to know you and you know them and you to practice being authentic and practice being vulnerable. And guess what? Practice getting hurt. Because it's only when the when those things happen and the sparks fly that you actually grow and you get to practice forgiving. Guess what? If you leave church because you got offended, Failed. <laughs> you failed the test. So stay. Number three, I am accepted. I need to know that I am accepted. I have my people. We're your people. You guys are my people. You really are my people. You know, I had the roughest year of my life last year, and my people were there for me. You know? But if you didn't know me and I didn't know you and I came and sat here every week after week, but I never allowed anybody to know me, guess what? When I go through a rough thing, nobody knows me. I'm not connected. It's my responsibility. I choose how connected I am, how known I'm going to be, and how many walls I'm going to keep up. I choose that. Number four, I'm valuable. Say, I am valuable and I'm very important. I'm one of a kind. You're a collector's item. We have a shared place. This is our shared place. This is the place that we are building, you know? If you're a first-time visitor, welcome. If you're a second-time visitor, welcome to the building crew. <laughs> Number five, I have a shared place. Number six, I have shared responsibilities. I have a role, right? Like your children, you start giving them um, chores and things like that when, when they grow up, right? Maybe not when they're babies, but as, as they grow older and they mature in the Lord, then they get more responsibilities. You know, we, we do that. We start serving. We start giving back. So I have a shared core values. We're not identical, but we have shared core values. I have a common vision and a purpose, right? Which is the one that God has given us all to go and make disciples, to go and whatever we receive freely, give freely to others. We are different, but we think similar. Not like clones or minions, but as children from the same Father. We were all created in His likeness and in His image. Isn't that amazing? So, I'm going to invite you to stand up with me. And if you could put that, uh, that last one, uh, Joel. And we're going to declare this today. You know, I want you to know, it doesn't matter how long you've been coming here. And the same thing if people come next week for the first time. This is the place we're building, a, people, a place where people belong. They don't have to work for it. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to, you know, they don't have to do anything. They just belong because they decided to join the family of God. So go ahead and put that one, Joel, so God is bigger. You have that there? 
Okay, repeat after me. God is bigger than anyone's ability to hurt me. I won't let pain steal my life. I will love again. I will trust again. I will be vulnerable. I will be authentic. And I won't let shame imprison me. Let's say the rest together. I won't live in an ice castle. I was born to live in covenant, to be part of a community. I was born to be part of God's family. Amen. If you believe that, give the Lord praise today. You belong to the family of God. You belong, you belong, you belong. You don't ever have to stay in an abusive situation just to belong somewhere. You don't ever have to stay in a toxic environment just to belong somewhere. God is giving you freedom. Amen. So, Father, I thank you this morning that your truth goes into our hearts. I thank you that we belong, that our heart cries, Abba, Father, because you're our Father. And that means these people are our siblings. And so we thank you for that. We thank you you've planted us in your house to flourish, to be nourished, to be transformed by your word. I thank you, God that you've given us a people and a community that will serve generations, our children and their children and their children. I thank you, Father, you've put us in a place that is reaching out to the whole world. And I thank you that we know today that we belong. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.